Hey, welcome in. Good afternoon to the penultimate week of the regular season. That means, for those of you who don't know, it's the next to last week of the regular season, which means next week will be the last week of the regular season. There are exactly 11 days left, uh, at least guaranteed, in Missouri's football season. We're going to talk about it here with Mitchell Forty on the weekend recap presented by, by Sun Exteriors and Interiors momentarily. But before we talk about it, hey, we got to tell you about our sponsor, and that is Sun. You can find them online at truesunexterior.com, and you can get in touch with them at 573-442-7292. I have used every rebuilding construction analogy I can think of during this season. So rather than do that again, just get in touch with them. If you have anything going on at your house uh, that, that needs attention, if you're rebuilding, if you're doing an addition, if you've got something that needs to be done inside or outside, True Sun is going to take care of it. Once again, that phone number is 573-442-7292. They were voted first place in the home remodeling, remodeling category by Inside Columbia Magazine in the best of Columbia issue. It is the number one team in Columbia and Edmond, Missouri. So make sure to get in touch with them today. Um, bring in Mitchell Forty now. Mitch, I I don't know that we've ever been voted the number one team in Columbia in anything, but I mean, we could just award that to ourselves. Yeah, probably. I mean, it, you know, if we, we could pull like an audience of one and then, you know, maybe there's a shot. I don't know. Um, if you're watching this show and you want to vote for us, just comment. If you don't, if you want to vote for somebody else, please do not comment. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, the uh, I, I guess the best football team that plays in a Columbia in the SEC East is Missouri. Um, actually, in a game that oddly really shouldn't have been close, and I kind of thought was over with eight minutes left, and then all of a sudden, as is tradition in this uh, in this series, wasn't exactly over. Yeah, weird stuff does happen when these two teams play each other, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a good win. Obviously, I think I think it's safe to say it was Missouri's best win of the season. Um, previously, their only you know win over a Power Five team was against Vanderbilt, and that hardly counts. So, uh, you know, like you said, it was fairly assertive. They were up 17 points with like nine minutes to play. Um, you know, maybe even could have been more than that if you you know look at a couple penalties going differently. So, yeah, I mean, I was fairly impressed. Um, I know we're gonna dissect it more in the quarterback situation and everything, but the defense is is it's coming around. I mean, it's you know I, I really think. Think that uh, it looks like a different unit than earlier this season, and I think that Steve Wilkes is, you know, has has probably saved his job, barring complete collapse here in the last couple of games. So, uh, you know, I, I know it's not the season a lot of people envisioned, and the the early losses probably squandered a little bit of the excitement as we've seen in you know the attendance numbers these past few home games. But uh, better to better to turn it around than the alternative and like go three and nine or four and eight. In a game that, look, we said going in, Missouri absolutely had to win, and they did. Um, we'll start on the defense because we'll get to the other stuff later, and if you guys have any questions, comments, anything like that, feel free to throw them in the, the comment section. We'll get to them in the second half of the show. Um, the defense, I think they gave up about 260 yards and really were better than that, I thought. I mean, some of those yards came late. A lot of the – 14 of the points came off turnovers, and um, – I. I don't know how good South Carolina is, right? I, I think that what Saturday showed us is South Carolina, Florida probably had more to do with Florida than it did with South Carolina. But at the same time, Missouri has played worse teams that have been far better better offensively than, than South Carolina was. So um, it is 
un- indefinitely progress. Yeah, I think 21 of South Carolina's points actually came off turnovers, although the one after the Mookie Cooper fumble, they still had to drive basically the length of the field, but still technically points off turnovers. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't I don't want to, you know, I think that I've seen a few people maybe get a little bit back ahead of themselves, and I'm not blaming anyone. Like your fans, you know, you, you grasp for reasons to be optimistic. That's what you do. Um, but yes, I, I don't think all of a sudden, you know, I know that the tone has shifted from, oh my gosh, we may never win another game, you know, going to be four and eight. This is a disaster to, oh, look, eight and five looks reasonable with a bowl game win. Like, I want to pump the brakes a tad. Like South Carolina, I don't think is very good. I think even before that game kicked off on Saturday, we kind of, or at least I kind of got the indication that their win over Florida had a lot more to do with Florida's defense being epically bad than anything else after Florida gave up 52 points to Samford. Um, in South Carolina, you know, they just they couldn't get a lot going. Um, you know, their their offense struggled all year and and really did it did not did not look very good. But yeah, like you said, I mean like we saw SEMO run for almost 300 yards against this team. We saw, you know, North Texas put up a bunch of yards against this team. We saw Central Michigan play them probably not on, on the scoreboard, but in reality a little tougher than South Carolina did. So you, you will absolutely take progress where you can get it. Yeah, and uh, look, I, I think the biggest difference defensively has been the defensive line. And, and we spent all season, is it the coaching? Is it the talent? And again, it's just not one thing. It's everything, and believe it or not, you know, players and coaches sometimes get better throughout the season, and I think they've gotten better, but I don't think there's any huge secret to what's happened. Like, Isaiah McGuire has turned into the best player they have up front. Trajan Jeffcoat is winning some matchups. Darius Robinson is winning some matchups. Like, again, a lot of times football at the line of scrimmage is, are you better than the guy standing across from you? And finally, Missouri has started being better than the guy sometimes. Yeah, I think we always, you know, we being media and fans, really, but always want to know, like, well, what happened? What caused this? And, like, a lot of times it's it's not maybe just one thing. And I'm sure, like, that'll be the tenor of the questions tomorrow. I mean, even ask, like, what, what went into Because, you know, we got to write about something. Like, what went into this change? What happened? And I think the answer is just going to be, like, we played better. Like, guys have, you know, made adjustments after they've watched their the film of them playing badly and done some of the things they previously did badly, less badly. Um, like, you know, I mean... But yeah, Isaiah McGuire was he was a game wrecker on Saturday and and we haven't seen him make those plays previously this season. And and he's been fine this season. I'm not trying to like pick on him or anything, but like he was unbelievable on Saturday. That fumble I thought was probably the biggest play of the game until the defensive score. But South Carolina, if they, you know, go down and score 14 nothing there, I don't I mean, Mizzou might just quit. Um, instead, you know, they get the turnover tie at seven to seven. So uh, that was huge. I mean, he but he was in there on a few other plays. He forced the uh, the interception to Chris Abram Strain. He had a sack. Trey John Jeffcoat started to look kind of like an, you know, the all SEC type player people thought he would be. Maybe not as consistently, but still showed those flashes. Akeel Byers made a couple plays. Kobe Whiteside made a couple plays. Arden Walker made a couple plays. Um, so yeah, and and when you can stop the run, I mean, like we we you know this always goes with it's kind of common sense, but we finally saw it happen. When you can stop the run, then you can finally start to get a pass rush with that front four because they can just kind of tee off. And, and they were able to uh, to put Jason Brown into some difficulty without bringing a ton of blitzes. Yeah, so the defense, hey, hey better, good for them. It's not the main intrigue at this point in time. Um, what led to that potential 14 nothing deficit was a Missouri interception. And look, for 19 of his 21 throws, Connor Basilak was somewhere between fine and good. 
right? I mean, I, I know people want the throws to actually go further, but whatever. He completed 15 of the 21 or something like that. And then, like, this is the nature of the quarterback position. Yes, it's only two plays out of 23, but they're the two we're going to focus on. And I don't really know how to say this other than what? Like, what happened? Those were – they weren't just interceptions. They were just – the first one, I, I don't even know. I can't explain it. It looked like he was at a carnival, like, trying to toss a ball into a trash can, right? And there was nobody – it was like there was just nobody – he's like, I'm just going to lob it here to make sure I get it to the trash can. Oh, by the way, yeah. there are 11 guys trying to prevent it from getting to the trash can. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, I mean, like, seriously, like, I, I – I couldn't even really comprehend and I haven't been able to see a replay of it because it's not, I haven't seen it in any like highlights. I've, I've tried to look. Um, I, I don't know what was going on there. I think they were trying to kind of go hurry up after picking up a, a first down or, uh, you know, maybe not having a spot reviewed and then like, but yeah, it just made no sense. And and the thing with, with Connor Bazelak is, you know, a few things, but first of all, the one thing he had done really well for a lot of his his you know early career was not make those kind of mistakes. And now it's not just that he's making mistakes. He's making it's like once a game where you see a throw where you're like, what was that? I mean, like the the throw against Vanderbilt where he I, the safety truly didn't move. He just hit the safety right in the chest, throwing off his back foot. There's been a few others this year too, where it's like he's gone from okay, maybe he's not spectacular, but he can manage the game. He gets the ball where it needs to go, and he can make one or two big plays when you need him to, like. Now he's not making as you know a ton of big plays, and he made a couple of nice throws the other day. But he's making some of the just most killer you know turnovers, and that's that's where I start. I think the you know the, the issue obviously is, is coming into play where Eli Drinkwitz ultimately pulled him out of the game. Yeah, and and Missouri's just not good enough to survive that from the quarterback. Right. I, I mean, it just is. It doesn't. It, it may not need him to be you know Brad Smith winning games on his own. But he can't be doing that. And then, right. I don't know, the second one, okay, it slipped out of his hands. It's, I guess, a little more explainable. But that, to me, was almost worse because it's literally the only thing you can't do there. And it indicates to me, I've almost got to think it's one of two things. Either it's nerves or he's just, I mean, his confidence is just shot. And maybe those two things are combined in one, right? But... That's not like a physical error that had nothing to do with with an injury as far as I can tell. It was just like, I, I don't know, he gripped the ball too hard and there it went at, you know, a pop-up to second base or something. Yeah, I mean, Eli Drinkman said after the game, like, it had nothing to do with injury. Neither of them did. It was just two bad decisions. And, and really, the second one, I don't know if it was so much a bad decision. It's like you said, just, I mean, just a kind of a, a fluky play. And... It would it'd be, you know, it's tough because like it's it's possible that that just like could happen to, to anyone, I guess. But like the 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 you start to lose the benefit of the doubt when that type of stuff is happening, like we said, once or twice a game. You know, if, if that never happens and then suddenly, you know, if he's, you know, playing like he did, you know, for the, the first I don't know five games he started last season, not really turning the ball over, playing pretty well. And he has one tough one at the end of a game like that where it slipped out of his hands that's fine but when it comes at the end of the stretch we've seen him have over the last what six starts he's had you know he's thrown I think 10 picks in that span nine picks in that span it it just becomes I mean it you know it becomes part of the pattern part of the theme and you know like I said Eli Drinkwist 
decided he couldn't couldn't risk it anymore. Yeah, so Brady Cook comes in for the final drive. So we'll talk plenty about this, but I want to ask you first of all because I read it and I watched it, but you were at the press conference. It seemed like there was a shift in tone here from the head coach. It seemed to me like it's gone from don't even ask me a question about my quarterback to I understand there's I've got some questions too yeah absolutely I mean obviously the biggest shift was the fact that he actually went to a backup because we hadn't seen him do that with Basilek in the game you know all year even in you know the blowouts when they were getting beat bad against and when when Basilek was really struggling didn't put in the backup and then after the game he would say Connor Basilek still gives this team the best chance to win and this week you know, kind of asked him the same question. I said, you know, how, how do you approach the quarterback position from here? And he said, I don't know. I have to see who gives us the best chance to win, not Connor gives us the best chance to win. I mean, after he said, I think some along the lines of I got to sit down, watch film and see who gives us the best chance to win going forward. And we'll play that guy. So, yeah, he absolutely left it, uh, left it more open ended than it has been in the past. So my, my first reaction and we texted about this during the game because it's what I was writing. It was, well, you can't once this is done, you can't take it back. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube on this. I'm not sure that's true. After thinking about it, you can. Um, I, I think it's tough because, again, if what we're seeing is a quarterback whose confidence is shaken and who is off his game mentally, I, I can't imagine, hey, you've been our guy all along, but we don't even trust you to go in and hand the ball off and, and run a little bit and burn four and a half minutes. Like, that's not going to help the confidence. Um, I, so he still could start Basilak, but if he's going to start Basilak, I almost think he has to come out tomorrow and just say, look, we're going with Connor. I He was off his game on, on Saturday. I thought Brady gave us the best chance to do what we needed to do then, but he is our starting quarterback as long as he is healthy enough to be our starting quarterback. And he has to end any talk of it right then. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. I think that, and that is a possibility. We could definitely see that happen. Um, but all, even even if that happens, and, and and I agree, that's the scenario you have to almost play out if you're going to play Basilak. You don't need to be, you know, doing the thing where you're like, well, we'll see, because, you know, trying to get a competitive advantage, and then the game rolls around and it's Connor, but all week everyone's like, oh, we might see the backup. We, no way he plays Basilak. Like, that would just lead to the scenario where, I mean, the first inner incompletion Connor Basilak throws, the home crowd is going to be booing, calling for the backup. And that may still happen anyway. And that's, a, you know, that's, I mean, that's why, um, you know, I, I know that we were we were saying on, on Saturday, like, this feels like a move that is hard to undo. Not, not can't be undone, but hard to undo because, you know. Once you open that door and once you, you know, you got a guy who's, like you said, seems to be kind of struggling, mentally struggling with confidence and you, you pull him and then you try to put him back in as soon as he has any sort of struggle. And like almost all quarterbacks have some struggles in a game, even a really good one. It's, it's hard to give him enough leash and, and for the crowd to give him enough leash to, uh, to, to keep going. Well, and, and let's be, let's be clear. The crowd is, the fans are, are done. They're ready for a change. Right, that doesn't right. matter. Like no, it doesn't. But I mean, I think it matter. It could matter from a confidence standpoint to Baselak if he's in there and he's already struggling with that, and then he starts hearing boos after two incompletions. Yeah, but but from the standpoint of the decision, it should matter right. zero. Eli Drinkwitz should not care at all who you want to start or I want to start or Power Mizzou wants to sit. None of that matters. He has to make that decision, and that's why he gets paid four million dollars. Um, if I'm sitting here on Monday afternoon. 
I'd be kind of surprised if it wasn't Brady Cook. I mean, he he showed on that last drive part of the reason he went in, which was, I, I mean, the one of the biggest plays of the game, it was second and 14, and Brady Cook ran for 11 yards, which allowed them to pick up the first down and run up the clock, run out the clock. If that's Connor Bazelak and you're in there on second and 14, there's only two things you're you're doing. You're either handing it to Tyler Beatty or you're throwing the football, and the defense knows that, and you're not going to throw the football because it stops the clock. Yeah, no, totally agree. I, I, I agree. I think if it was me, and like – Obviously, we don't see practice. We don't. I don't know real very much about Brady Cook and what he can do other than the you know few plays we've seen him play in games. But I, I think I would I would go to Cook. You don't. You've you've mentioned a few times in various formats. Like we all he's ever done is what's asked of him. So let's see what he can do when when a little bit more is asked of him. And and the running dynamic is you know it's important. That adds something to the offense. Um, you know, he's clearly, I mean, he's clearly an intelligent player. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to just make like some decisions that, and, you know, he may misread some things or whatever, doesn't have a lot of experience, but like, you know, like you mentioned sliding inbounds to stop the clock, um, you know, Drinkwitz has complimented his intelligence in the past. Uh, so like, I, I think that's something to be factored in. And the other thing too, is like, you know, I know you said earlier, like aside from two plays, Connor Bazelak was, you know, he was decent good I, I would almost say you could you could just as easily flip it and say aside from two or three plays he was pretty bad like I he made the the throw to Mookie Cooper I've seen people knock him that was a good play that was a really good play he stood in he took a hit he got the ball out where it needed to be knowing he was going to get hit I thought you know he had one or two decent plays uh you know he he the ball handling on that uh, little short touchdown pass to Daniel Parker was nice the touch was nice there there, there may have I'm sure there are one or one or two other decent plays because he completed 15 passes but like the vast majority of the rest was either the, the interceptions or he had that one where he threw on the sideline to jj hester when a guy was open for a touchdown and it was a dangerous throw he had that completion of daniel parker where he almost missed him parker had to make that one-handed catch he was wide open um i mean and and the rest of the completions were all behind the line of scrimmage just about he had seven of his completions were behind the line of scrimmage so like i don't think it's just to me it's gotten to the point where it's like it's not like okay we can live with the mistakes because he's giving us this great dynamic ability no one can give us so the one thing i think Drinkwitz has put to bed is the idea that tyler macon's going to be a starting quarterback this year um i mean yeah. he, he didn't play and Drinkwitz made it pretty clear like it, there was no plan to play him and we don't know this but I really don't think we want to keep his red shirt. Is I don't think it's a factor here. I, I don't think Eli is worrying at all about 2025. I mean, I, you know, if Eli is, is honest, and he usually is, I think he would say, I don't even know if I'm going to be here in 2025. What do I care if Tyler Macon's here in 2025, you know? And so I, I just, I understand why fans want to believe that. But I really just think it's just that he's not ready, and there's nothing more to it than that. Yeah, coaches just don't really think that way. Like you said, they're worried about winning everything they every game they can and surviving to the next season. They're they're typically not super worried about yeah which player's going to redshirt and and yeah be around that long if they can help. Obviously, they're not going to throw you know just someone some random person out there in a fifth game to play a kickoff when they don't need them to. But um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I think I, I've kind of interpreted Eli Drinkwitz's whole we can only prep two quarterbacks to start thing as kind of a message like, look, you know, 
Tyler Macon could have a role with like design packages and stuff, but he's not we're, he, he's not a guy who we're planning to start a game right now unless we really need him to. Like he's more in a in a you know situational capacity. Um, we we there we may end up seeing some packages for him as a runner, but I, I don't think he's ready as a complete passer yet. I mean, like you know, I, I think we sort of started to see it in the Georgia game, and and he can get better absolutely. But I, I yeah, I think that uh, I, I think barring you know some something fairly drastic happening, something like you know Brady Cook getting injured too or something like that, uh, I would be surprised if if Megan starts a game this season. Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, guys, there are other players on the team. Like it's not just it's not just the three quarterbacks. They have eighty some odd scholarship players, or at least mid seventies. So there's a lot of other guys. And Kyle is asking about uh, one of them. He says, "What does next year's offense look like without Beatty? And is the starting running back on the roster right now?" It's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I haven't seen enough of B.J. Harris or Elijah Young, or Michael Cox, or anybody else to say, well, he's clearly not a starting running back. I, I have no clue. I don't know what Missouri has at running back. Yeah, I don't either. And I mean, like, we came into this season saying, like, gosh, I don't know how Beatty can handle the workload without Larry Roundtree, and it's worked out spectacularly. And I am absolutely not expecting B.J. Harris or Michael Cox to do what Tyler Beatty is doing this season. I mean, almost no one in Missouri history has done what Tyler Beatty is doing this season. But, yeah, that's not to say they can't come in and, and be a, a good player or, you know, a combination of a few of those guys can't come in and, and do what's needed to, you know, at least keep the offense going. I don't think they'll probably live through the running back position quite as much as they have this year because Beatty's been so good. But the hope is that, you know, you, you've upgraded the receivers enough at that point that you don't have to. Um, so, yeah, and we, they also have, you know, they have at least one, I mean, one incoming freshman uh, committed. They're, they're, you know, working on, you know, potentially adding another one. If they don't, maybe we could see uh, someone added through the transfer ranks. So it's definitely possible that, you know, they'll they'll bring in some help uh, from that's not currently on the roster at that position. Um, but it's a fair question for sure. Yeah, it uh, it's also probably time. We talked about this on the postgame show a lot on Saturday. It's probably time I stopped dismissing the Missouri offensive line. Apparently it's done a pretty decent job. I mean, uh, you know, not in every game. They've had some struggles here and there, but Tyler Beatty doesn't have 1,200, 1,300 rushing yards with a line that's not playing well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I felt like kind of throughout the season – their issue had been, you know, in the in the in the games against higher levels of competition, you could kind of see they weren't getting the same push as they were against, you know, the lower level teams. I mean, like, you know, I, I don't know the exact rushing numbers, but it, it, it Beatty was way down against Kentucky, Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas A&M compared to the, the rest of the games. But like, and South Carolina obviously isn't a great team, but their defense had been really solid this season. Their defensive line has some talent. Um, you know, that Kingsley and Igbare dude is, is like talked about as a potential NFL pick. Um, like they, they clearly, they have some guys there and, and the Mizzou offensive line, which was down three tackles played really well. I, I think that's like kind of the, you know, the, the, you know, underneath like the sub story of the game that, you know, I'll probably try to write later this week that just, there just wasn't enough time to talk about too much on Saturday because of everything else that happened with the defense and the quarterback situation and Tyler Beatty. But, you know, you have... Bobby Lawrence, who Drinkwood said was on scout team last week, then, uh, you know, he started the game at tackle. Then he left. They shifted Connor Wood, who's only in the in the lineup because of Case Hook's injury, from right guard to right tackle and played EJ Doma Ogar at, at uh, right guard for his first significant action of the year. And, and the line was as good as I've seen it.
Okay, so the uh, it, we're getting a lot of quarterback questions, which we're going to get to as in a minute as soon as I fin finish fixing. There, we're, there you go. We're back to normal. Um, I, I've got it figured out. But um, a lot of quarterback questions, which we'll get to quickly. Um, Reed says, what are the odds that Drinkwitz pulled Basilak at the end to keep Florida guessing who the starter is going to be? Um, I'm going to guess zero in some number that is – significantly less than zero on that yeah i don't think that entered the calculus there um he may if he's coy during the week this week it would maybe be to keep florida guessing because i just i really feel like by now you know here on monday or at least by two when we talk to him tuesday he's gonna probably know or have a very good idea who's starting but i don't think that entered the calculus in the moment i think in the moment it was all right well we can't trust this guy to go out here and not give the ball away so we'll try the other guy yeah, and he has been pretty clear, like, look, I just kind of like listing him as questionable and not tell – like, I'll give Drinkwitz this. It is maddening at times that coaches do this game where they think it makes a huge difference, but he just flat out admits, well, the reason I'm doing it is because I just don't want to tell you guys and I don't want the other team to know. So that's fine. As long as it's admitted up front, like, I'm screwing with everybody, that's cool. I, I can live with it. I mean, it's still kind of dumb, but that's fine. Yeah, no, I, I agree. At least he doesn't try to like rationalize it too much. And like we, you know, yeah, the fans don't have to try to rationalize it for him and fight us about it. Like it's cool. It's I get it. It's part of covering college football. You got to act like you're protecting, you know, the, the nuclear launch codes. Right. Um. Uh. Okay. Matt wants to know, does Macon not getting the backup job solidify him transferring? I mean, no, not at all. I mean, he's a a true freshman that hadn't played football in two years. You know, I don't think he probably came to campus this year expecting to play. I mean, is it impossible that he chooses to transfer this offseason? No, it's never impossible. Everybody transfers now. But I don't think we need to worry about that quite yet. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, I, yeah, if he if he was coming in, you know, maybe he was hoping to make an impact right away. But if he was coming in expecting to get the starting job right away as a true freshman who hadn't played in a couple of years, uh, you know, that just it, not very realistic. I don't think that, you know, him being third on the on the depth chart is really a you know, a surprise to anyone. I think that's kind of been the situation all year. And like, you know, all year, like there was hesitancy to kind of name a backup. It seems like from Drinkwitz, and that, you know, was kind of maybe thought of as part of the reason why he didn't put in a backup in some of those games, but like the team had to know, like he, and he even said on Saturday, like, yeah, usually we just game plan with the starter and the backup knows what he's going to do when he goes in. And I'm pretty sure that was always Brady cook. Cause he would always take the number two snaps before games. So I think Macon had to kind of know, I don't think it's a big surprise. I, I you know, I'm not going to guarantee he doesn't transfer, but I don't think this necessarily increases the likelihood. Yeah, Brett asked, do you think the final two games decide if they go after a transfer quarterback? Yeah, this is an intriguing question to me because, like, until, you know, a week or two ago, I would have said there's no chance they're going after a transfer quarterback because, you know, you already are going to have a crowded quarterback room next year when Sam Horn shows up. Um, you know, there's a, we always said there was a good chance that one of the, one of the three guys or one of those four, but probably not Sam Horn, obviously right away, you know, ends up moving on. If you bring in a transfer, obviously that just increases the odds that one or two other people would move on. But, you know, if, if you, you know, you don't, you're not sold on what you have on Connor Bay's lack and Brady cook maybe starts these last couple of games and you're not sure what you have on him, or you, you don't really love what you see from him. Your options next year are, you know, Bay's who, you know, has frankly regressed throughout the course of this season and 
if he's still around, he could be a guy who transfers. Brady Cook, who at that point will have started maybe like two games and barely played. And, you know, obviously in this hypothetical situation, didn't impress you that much. Tyler Macon, who has basically never played, and Sam Horn, who has never played and won't show up until the fall. Like, but it, it's just risky. And these are the decisions that I'm glad I don't have to make and that Eli Trinkwitz gets paid a lot of money to make. Because if you bring in a transfer quarterback, he's got to be the right guy because you're probably running off like two other dudes if you do that like guys are not going to be super thrilled like Connor Bazelak will know like okay writing's on the wall maybe he just wants to stick around because he likes that Mizzou probably not you know someone like Brady Cook okay I clearly I you know didn't get the job done they're breaded someone else I'm I'm out of here so like it's just it, it's got to be the right guy but on the same side if you don't bring someone in you got to feel pretty confident you have the right guy in the roster now and so yeah I do think the last couple of games will play a big role in that and see, I think what actually plays a big role in it is what they will find out or maybe already know that we don't. But I think it depends on if anybody's leaving. If mm-hmm. if Basilek wants to come back and Macon or Cook wants to come back and you've got Sam Horn coming back, you're fine. If, if, if you've got three guys next year, you don't have to go get a grad transfer quarterback. Now, if they find out, hey, toward the end of the season, Connor Basilek comes and says, look, guys, I, I, I'm out. You know, and either Macon or Cook says, "Hey, I don't feel like I'm I'm gonna ever win the starting job, so I'm out." Then, if you're looking at just one of these guys and Sam Horn, then I think you have to go get a transfer. Now, I think it has to be a grad transfer. It has to be a one-year guy. You're not going out and getting a sophomore transfer quarterback because then tons of people are transferring. But I don't think you make that move until you know the move the guys on your roster are going to make. I, I think it's semantics. But I think we're talking about which one comes first. And I think the move would have to come internally before. I I don't think they will take a transfer quarterback and then get rid of other guys. I think they will wait to see what happens with their guys that are on campus and then make the decision uh, from that point. Um, This one's interesting, Mitch. Uh, John Renfro believes that this game went south when the camera panned to the sideline showing Drinkwitz and all the players dancing and laughing up by 17 with nine minutes or so to go, and they lost focus. I mean, I I do want to point out, first of all, before your reaction, that if the game went south, it like it still stayed north enough. They did win the game, you know, so it didn't like completely go south. I truly have no idea the camera shot he's talking about. I don't know. I'm sure they were probably happy when they were up 17 with nine minutes to go. I would have been happy for I then. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Obviously I couldn't see this. I, you know, in the press box, I'm to the back of all the, the of the sideline. So um, definitely it's not something that's been on my radar. Uh, I mean, like, you can definitely there is a place to nitpick and say that this team has not really put together a four quarter game yet this season. I would say that is true. Um, you know, even against like SEMO in North Texas, they kind of fell apart towards down the stretch. But I would also I would counter that by saying, yeah, well, this team's not good enough for you to nitpick. Just be happy that they beat a decent team. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, the last question comes from Dave Bostelman. Good things happen on the rare occasions when they throw to the tight ends, especially Nico Hay. Why don't they target them more? Did the f- head coach forget how much grass is in the middle of the field? Mitch, while, while you react to that, I'm going to look up Nico Hay's stats and the tight end stats just so I have some some general frame of reference here. 
Yeah, um, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that good things have been happening when they throw to Nico Hay. I, I can't remember him making many highlight reel plays this season or really being all that open. Um, you know, you can always try to scheme up things for the tight ends, and I think Dreamus does that from time to time. I mean, the uh, little pass on the goal line to Daniel Parker Jr., which, by the way, was called Popsicle. I learned that in the postgame press conference. Uh, that was schemed up for the tight end. You know, you have every, every once in a while, you have the little shovel pass to Nico Hay. They tried to throw to Nico Hay on the goal line in the, at the end of the first half in this game. He got stuffed. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I, I tend to. I tend to think that I'm not seeing the tight ends running wide open over the field, all over the field or winning their one-on-one matchups a ton uh, on this team. I, I think that there's, you know, probably bigger issues. Yeah. I mean, I, I just looked it up. So Missouri has three tight ends that have caught a pass. Uh, Daniel Parker, Nico Hay and Messiah Swinson have 30 catches for a combined 208 yards. That is less than seven per reception. The lowest yards per reception is actually Nico Hay, who has the most catches with 14 for 73 yards. He's averaging 5.2 yards a catch. Uh, Parker has three touchdowns. Hay has one. They've done what they've been asked to do. But I've said since the beginning of the year, like as far as a pass-catching tight end, Missouri doesn't have one. I mean, if they have one, it's I think it's Messiah Swenson, who obviously can't really get on the field. Parker is a blocker for the most part. Um, Nico Hay is like, hey, he's a possession guy if you can throw short, but he is not going to do a lot once the ball's – I mean, they had to rush the field goal team on the on the field, and I'm not saying this is all Nico Hay's fault, but he caught the ball at the two-yard line and didn't get in the end zone at the end of the first half. So, yeah, of the list of things that I think this team needs to do more or do better, I, I just don't really agree that throwing to the tight ends is, is one of them. Now, if Ryan Horskamp or Gavin McKay turns into that guy, if you get back and you – you know, if if you had Chase Kaufman on this team and he had eight receptions for 70 yards, I would take issue with that. But I don't think Chase Kaufman is on this team. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Mitch, we haven't talked to any basketball um, largely because, I mean, I don't know. They play Kansas City tonight. That should be fine. Yeah, I'll be there. Hopefully they don't lose. Uh, it, it's happened before where UMKC came into Missouri Arena and won. That was also the sign that that season and head coaching tenure was not going to go great. So It's the, uh, it's the yeah. only time I've ever known in game one, oh, this was a terrible idea. Yeah, usually we're always like, oh, you know, give it time, don't overreact. No, there's there's no reaction that is over the top with if if Mizzou loses to UMKC. So, yeah, I'll be there. We'll uh, we'll write about it. Um, don't expect if anything crazy does happen, it's not good for you guys. I'll just say that. Right. I, I mean, we expect this to be very run of the mill. Thursday to be very run of the mill. Then Saturday, Sunday get a little bit interesting in the uh, long tenured and much anticipated Jacksonville classic, which is, uh, I don't know, first annual. I don't really know that, but I, I have no idea. That's what we're <laughs> going to go with. Okay. So last thing here, and we're going to finish up. Cody says to throw in a basketball question. I would think Trey King would be a great addition. He is a, he played three years at Eastern Kentucky transferred to Georgetown was basically dismissed from the team for some sort of conduct violation, rules violation. Doesn't really seem to be like a major deal, but whatever. He can't play at Georgetown, so he entered the transfer portal. He visited Wichita State over the weekend. He's visiting Missouri on Wednesday, and he will visit Iowa State on Saturday. And I have already read on our message board that he is the missing piece to a tournament team this year for Missouri. I don't know if I believe that, 
but I do believe he would probably immediately be in the starting lineup for this team. Yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I've never watched notched him play. I don't. I'm not going to pretend to be not, an not a big Eastern Kentucky Colonel like, fan. This is uh, this is you know why we have advocated at times in the past for leaving the 13th scholarship open and not using it on an Ed Chang or an Axel Okongo junior college flyer who never ends up playing. Um, you know, you, people do transfer all the time now in college basketball. Um, I assume I assume Trey King would not be eligible until the second semester. Is that correct? Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if yeah. then, and and nobody knows if for that. sure if he would be then, but he his plan is to enroll somewhere second semester and apply for a waiver. Right. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, it, it'd be intriguing. Um, you know, just add, add, go ahead and add another new face, another transfer to the mix, and and I don't think it could hurt necessarily. But uh, yeah, I don't. My my I you know my deal's always like yeah, we'll see what happens and then deal with it from there. Yeah. The uh, look mid year transfers have worked out before for Missouri. Um, that Olenny kid did all right back in uh, <laughs> back in '94. Um. Uh. Oh. I know what I was going to say. Like, I will have none of this Ed Chang slander. I, I'm I'm over this. Um, so we are we are doing two things. I'm ending the show because of your slander of Ed Chang, and I am now looking into plane ticket prices to the Jacksonville Classic so that you can go find out why Ed Chang did not play in the Jacksonville Dolphins' first game of the year. I, I think that's actually a good investment. Two birds, one stone can cover the Mizzou games and do some investigative reporting, deep dive into what's going on with Ed Chang. And is Ed Chang even a real person? Because that's still not totally clear to me. I, you said you saw him in person last year. So. I, did, I mean, I saw someone wearing his jersey number. I, it could have been anyone. There's really no telling. I, I never heard him speak. I never saw, you know, never saw an ID or anything. It could be anyone. All right. So if you go to... If you happen to be a person going to the Jacksonville Classic, not going to say it's going to happen, but there could be a Power Mizzou stringer fee if we get the expose on why Ed Chang was a DNP and not listed in the box score for Jacksonville's uh, home opener. So, Mitch, I know you got to get down to Columbia this afternoon, so we will uh, let you go, man. Uh, talk to you later on. Sounds good. All right, so Mitchell Forty, we are letting him go, and I'm going to go shortly here, but before I do, I am going to remind you guys that every Monday this show has been made possible by True Sun Exteriors and Interiors. They are, look, choosing the wrong construction company is a problem. True Sun Exteriors is the right construction company and that is why you should choose them um they are going to make sure just that every step of the way goes the way you want it to go it's a local company hometown pride they care about your experience and your satisfaction with the finished product so they're going to keep you in the loop everything every step of the process they're going to give you all sorts of choices they're going to work with you they've got great customer service uh, they were named the best home remodeling company in Columbia by Inside Columbia Magazine in 2021. And I would anticipate that is an honor that they will receive many more times in the future. So if you have something going on around your house, you got a project that you need done, uh, get in touch with the guys at True Sun at 573-442-7292. Uh, they would appreciate it. We would appreciate it. And that means everyone would be happy. Brett Stevens tells us that Ed Chang is not listed on the Jacksonville University roster. That's terrible news. Um, I don't want to talk anymore. So we're done. So long, Ed Chang. We barely knew you.